Amen. Okay, so if you want to go to Matthew chapter 5, um, 17 to 20. Um, so last week we looked at, um, you know, the, the blessed people and we said the Salmon on the Mount. We talked about a few things, just a quick recap. We talked about, so just starting from verse 1, we talked about the, the place, right? It's called Salmon on the Mount because Jesus gave the Salmon on the mountain, around the mountain, right? Um, if you want to bring up Matthew 5 verse 1 for starters, you know, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he went to the mountain, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Do you want to bring up verse 1 for me very quickly, okay? Are you there? It's not coming up. Yeah, I'll give you a second. So we talked about the place, the mountain, right? That's where we got the idea of the mountain from. We talked about the father. There are many reasons why that could be. It could be that Jesus wanted to stay at a vantage position to project his voice, right? So people could hear him. And we also said that the, the audience could relate with the idea of the mountain. And it seems like in God's wisdom, because the law was given on the mountain, now Jesus was about to give us, so to speak, a new law. He was about to give us the manifesto of the kingdom that he now represents, the New Testament, or should I say the foolish revelation of God. And now he chose to do it around the mountain. So it was as though Jesus was making a declaration that, well, you had the law, you had the law from a mountainside. Now I'm giving you the new law for the new people, and I'm doing it on the mountain. So there was a shift in their mentality as to, you know, what God said to them on the mountain through Moses and what God is now saying on the mountain through another prophet. And Moses said, a prophet like me, God will give to you and him you must listen to. So, as you know, God in his wisdom was setting the people up for, you know, the progression of his revelation to them. Does that make sense? And then we talked about the people. You know, the Bible says that when he saw the crowd, that was when he went can you bring up verse 1? Right, okay. I, I thought I kept seeing 5, and I thought it was verse 5. Sorry. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountains and sat down. His disciples came to him. Verse 2. And he began to teach them. So the disciples came to him. He saw the crowd, but his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So we tried to highlight, you know, um, who he was teaching. Who was he teaching? Can someone tell me? Who was he teaching? The disciples, right? So it seems as though the, the, the direct audience was the disciples, but the indirect audience was the crowd. Does that make sense? And so we said that it suggests to us that the, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a message that the Master is giving to us, his disciples. So it's a discipleship message. And as we begin to look into it, you will see that there are actually not things that someone who is not a disciple can do. You know, they, they are tough discipleship lessons, right? Even though the crowd could hear, but it wasn't for the crowd to directly obey. It was for the disciples to come, the crowd first of all, to come into relationship with Christ, and then they'll be able to obey or live out that discipleship lesson. So we talk about the people, and then we talk about the purpose. The purpose was to declare the manifesto of the kingdom. The purpose was to, you know... Um, so to speak, set out a new law for a new people. But we said we must not mistake it for another rules or set of do's and don'ts. 
like the law of Moses, and which was why he started with a blessing rather than a curse. Blessed, blessed. You know, when we, from verse 3, Jesus began to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, blessed are those that mourn. So it wasn't so much of another set of do's and don'ts, but Jesus showing us the fact that God wants us blessed, and the life of the blessed looks like this. So rather than instead of another rules and regulation that as they had it in the law of Moses, Jesus was giving us a picture of the blessed life and how that blessed life is lived. Does that make sense? Do we understand that? Okay. And the other thing I probably didn't say on Sunday, which we looked at on Wednesday, drink on it, is the posture. So if you look at the verse 1 again, what happened was Jesus went to the mountains and sat and began to teach them. Now, you might not take anything serious about the posture of sitting down, but the people could understand. And it seemed as though, if you look at it, when he went to the mountain and sat, his disciples then went, as though his sitting was indicating something. Are you still with me? So when he went to the mountain and sat, they came to him as though it's teaching time. Does that make sense? You know, and that's because in, in the rabbinic tradition, rabbis, teachers would sit to teach. Okay? And also beyond that, it seemed as though the sitting of Jesus was a posture of authority. You know, the Bible tells us that he taught not as the rest of the not as the rest of the scribes and Pharisees, but as one having authority. And so his posture of sitting down was saying, Well, what I'm about to say to you is not an opinion, is not something you could take or leave. It is an authoritative message from the Lord. Are we still together? Okay. So basically that was what we looked at um, last week and maybe at connect as well so let's look at um verses 17 to 20 this morning so just run to 17 very quickly and so i've titled today um, the righteousness of the kingdom so jesus do not think that i have come to abolish the law and the prophets i have come to abolish I have not come, go back, 17. So it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And verse 19 says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. So the first thing I want to quickly highlight there is the fact that Jesus, you know, came to fulfill the law. So Jesus said, well, you know, he was a respected teacher. And so you would imagine that both the disciples and the crowd would want to know what he had to say about the law. And in different instances, maybe he had come to challenge certain things about the law in court. And so it was important for Jesus, as he begins to teach, to clarify 
that he wasn't coming to abolish the law as though the law was not from God. Right? Remember, the law was a valid um, word. The, the law was a valid message from the Lord. Right? However, some things went wrong about the, the way they used the law, the way they understood the law, the spirit of the law. Yeah? And so Jesus said, well, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And the first thing Jesus said is, he says, the law and the prophet. Go back to verse 17. It says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophet. So technically, the expression law and prophet is, is capturing the entirety of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, well, I have not come to set aside the Old Testament, so to speak, but I have come to fulfill it. And then he goes on to say, yeah, so it's, that's what I mean. It's, it's a technical term to refer to the entirety of the Old Testament. I, I think we have a couple of scriptures, you know, to buttress that. So go to the next slide. And the one after. Okay. All right. Now I'll, I'll come back to that then. So, and then Jesus went on to say that not a, not um, a jot. Go back to verse, go back to verse 17. You're going to jump around a little bit, yeah? Okay, so it says, do not think I've, I've come to abolish the law and the prophet. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18 says, for truly I tell you, that the expression truly I tell you is the same uh, expression, verily, verily I say unto you, or assuredly I say to you. In other words, just in saying, don't mistake, this is a very authoritative um, statement I want to make, so pay attention. So he's saying, for truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of, of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is fulfilled. So if we go back to the slide that I have on the jot and the teacher. So Jesus Christ was saying, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Then he began to say, I want you to know that everything that is in the law is important. Okay, so he uses the word jot and titu. Now, the word jot is the word jod in, in Hebrew. is actually the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and, and it's, it's the Y sound, if you like, called the Y letter. Now, and Jesus is saying, and then the titu is like a, a pronunciation sound. You know, like when you have two words that are similar, but they are pronounced differently. The titu is like that, that's sign on it that distinguishes one sound from the other. Now, there are little, little things, right? But Jesus is making a point that every dot on the I and every cross on the T in God's word is important. And Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill the word of God to the minutest detail. Not a single word of God is less important than the other. So what that means, you know, I, I, I want us to bring out a scripture. Go to the next slide. You know, Paul came on the, on, on the scene and said to us, Second Timothy chapter 3 and 16 and 17, says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is given by God's inspiration. All scripture has come from God. Even the jots and the teacher. Right? So it means that for you and I as believers, we cannot cherry pick. We cannot choose one part of God's word against another one. We cannot decide what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. We must hold the word of God as one unit because if it's the word of God, then it is authoritative, whatever it is. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus says every word of the Lord is 
important. And then, you know, if we go back to um, my slide. So it says, I've come to fulfill the law and not to abolish it. Now, so let's quickly look at what Jesus meant then by coming to fulfill the law. What does he mean by coming to fulfill the law? There are, there are a couple of possibilities. Number one, so Jesus meant that, or it could mean that he came to um, obey the law, right? He came to be the perfect one to fully obey the law. You know, one of the challenges of the law was that the law was good because the law was from God. The law was a revelation of God's standard righteousness, you know. But this law came to people who were imperfect. This law came to people who could not obey it. And so the, we all constantly broke the law. And so when Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, in one sense, he was saying, I've come to fully obey the law. What everybody else cannot do as the perfect man, I've come to give perfect obedience to the law of God. That's the first possibility. If we go to the next slide, let me share a scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 2, for example, 21 and 22 tells us, says, to this you were called because Jesus Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Verse 22 says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Go to the next slide. I have one more scripture. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus, in saying, I've come to fulfill the law, was saying, I've come to fully obey the law. And guess what? He did that on our behalf, right? Now, if you can run, go to Romans and chapter 8 very quickly. And if you can get in your own Bibles, let me just quickly make a point. So, the Bible says that what the law could not do, Romans and chapter 8. Open your Bibles. Open Romans chapter 8, if you came with your Bible. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Let's quickly read verses 1 and 2, and then I'll run away from there. Romans and chapter 8. Is anyone there? While the DJs are getting ready. Oh, yeah, they are there. Well done, guys. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life gives us, as sorry, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, have you got verse 3? Okay, verse 3 is where I'm going. It says, for what the law could not do, because it was... Do to five, right? Awesome. Now, let, look at this. So, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, so he could, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, I mean in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see what's going on here. So the Bible says that the law made the law had a demand, but the law could that demand could not be met in us. And so Jesus came as us to fulfill the law perfectly on our behalf, so that when he fulfilled the law. Perfectly, 
that could be credited to us. In other words, Jesus fully fulfilled the law and his obedience was credited to us as our obedience. Does that make sense? And that is the doctrine of righteousness that we couldn't meet up. He met the standard on our behalf by faith in him, his righteousness is credited to our account. Do you understand this? Okay, so that's what fulfilled the law means, number one. Number two, Jesus also meant, if we go back to that slide on fulfilling the law. So Jesus also meant that he is the theme of the law, right? So in other words, Jesus was saying, see, I am all that. So I've not come to set aside the law because actually the law was talking about me. I'm the subject of the law. I am all that the law is trying to present. Do you understand that? Are we still together? So I, I can't possibly be setting the law aside. Why? Because I am the fulfillment. I am the substance of all that the law is trying to say. Are, are, we, are we still together? All right, let's read a few scriptures on that. Very quickly. DJ, help me. Yeah? John chapter 5, 39, not to 46 and 46. Okay, so he says, you studied the scriptures diligently because Jesus was talking to the crowd, to the Jews and Pharisees. You studied the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, these are the very scriptures that testify of me. Paul is saying, I mean, Jesus is saying, well, you look at the scriptures as though the scriptures in themselves are an end in themselves, but the scriptures are pointing to me. How many of you, if you were going to Wales, you just see the arrow that says Wales. You just stop at the signboard and say you have gotten to Wales. You don't do that, right? Because you understand that this, the signpost is pointing to Wales. It is not Wales. So Jesus is saying you, you stand at the signpost, the law, and refuse to come to me that the law is pointing to. I am the theme of the law. I am the message of the law. I am what the law is trying to say. I am the fulfillment. I am the substance. And have, you, have you seen someone virtually, maybe uh, Instagram, on Zoom, and all of that, and you have looked so long to see them in person, and then when they come in person, you ignore them, and you, and you want to go back to the screen. Ah. You know, sometimes, the, when you see people in person, you cannot reconcile it to who you saw on the screen. And so sometimes you might be endeared to the screen. The screen personality as against the physical person. Does that make sense? Jesus said, I'm the substance of the law. Verse 46, quickly. It says, you believe... If you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. So again, he was talking to them and they're like, oh, Moses is the prophet. He's the one we believe in. In other words, the law. And, and Jesus said, well, if you actually understood Moses, you'll be running to me. Why? Because all that Moses was saying to you is me. He wrote about me. Does that make sense? So that's the second um, nuance of that expression, I've come to fulfill it. And the third one, which I think is very key to the, the beatitude, is the fact that he's the ultimate Jewish rabbi. So he's saying, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to tell you, I've come to fill in the gaps in your understanding of the law. I'm the ultimate teacher here. So he sat down to teach them. 
and began to expound the law. So Jesus, in, in other words, is saying, I agree with the law, but I disagree with some of your interpretations of the law. So I am the ultimate teacher. Now I'm sitting down. You all listen because I want to teach you the law. Why? Because I wrote the law in the first place. Don't forget Jesus is the expression of God in the flesh. Right? He is the very word. John chapter 1, right? From verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the very word of God is here in person. And he's saying, I've just come to fill in the gaps in your understanding. The word himself is here. Does that make sense? And so that's what Jesus meant by I've come to fulfill the law. And as we begin to read the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that Jesus was actually filling the gaps in their understanding. He would say something like, you have heard, but I say unto you. In other words, the authority is speaking. Do I have a scripture on that? Okay, I think I quoted it earlier. Um, that is, I believe, Matthew 7. That's the Matthew 7, I think I have it, yeah. The, the, the last two verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is from chapter 5 to 7. Now, this is how the, the sermon ended, the reaction of the crowd. Bible says, when Jesus had finished three solid chapters of teaching. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Like their jaws dropped. They were amazed at his teaching. Look at why. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In other words, the authority with which he spoke was not at the same level like all the teachers have been hearing. Why? Because the very one who wrote the word, the law, was on ground and he was teaching them. You see, this thing, when, when God inspired this writing, this exactly was what God had in mind. You have misunderstood it, so correct your understanding. Does that make sense? Okay, and so uh, that's my first point. And so my second point then is the righteousness of the kingdom. The righteousness of the kingdom, which is where I will wrap it up this morning. And so, verse 20. Let's go back to verse 20. Now, these guys have been listening to the law all their lives. And they've heard their teachers teach them. Um, and Jesus began to say, verse 20, just to the text. Matthew five twenty. So, Jesus said to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is an interesting verse because if you understood who the Pharisees were, they were the experts in the law. They were the guys who understood the law. They were, they were the most righteous and so what Jesus was saying was very radical. And I could imagine the crowd saying, it's like you're saying if you cannot get to the finish line of a hundred meter track faster than Usain Bolt, you have not made it. 
Does that make sense? So, Usain Bolt is the fastest guy, right? And he makes it in how many seconds? Sorry? Just, just roughly. Nine, right? Nine seconds. Now, and Jesus is saying, well, for you to be seen to win the heat and qualify for the race, you must make it to the finishing line of 100 meters faster than Usain Bolt. So I imagine all the athletes just drop their boots and say, well, <laughs> nobody can make it. Do you understand? Again, going back to where we started, blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of God. Blessed are, the, are those who recognize that they cannot make it on their own. And uh, they recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and then cast themselves on God for salvation. Because the Pharisees who were the best of the best, they were the cream de la cream of the law. They were, these guys were the custodian. Jesus said, he was saying two things by implication. Number one, the Pharisees, and they, they are, they've not made it. So what you're saying is that Yusuf Bod himself has not made it. And so, none of you can make it. <laughs> Do you understand? So Jesus said, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter. So it means that the righteousness of the Pharisee cannot enter the kingdom. You need the righteousness that is big, that surpasses that. And nobody has it. Because these guys were the best. So how do we get to the kingdom? Let me tell you a little bit about the righteousness of the Pharisees, very quickly. The righteousness of the Pharisees. Go back to my slide. Now the righteousness of the Pharisees was hypocritical. Um, Jesus had a very serious go at them in Matthew 23. The writing of the Pharisee was external. And what Jesus is saying to us is, is that it is imperfect. Right? The writing of the Pharisees was hypocritical because they were acting. They would tell the people something outside. They would do something else. They tried their best to fulfill the law, but because they could not fulfill the law. Remember where we started from? What we could not do, God did through his son on our behalf so that by faith in him what he has done will be credited to us right so the pharisees would do their best to do the one they could do the one they could not do they will pretend as though they have made it so they were deceiving the people they were hypocritical they were actors their righteousness was external because they would it had no effect on their heart. And Jesus would come on the Sermon on the Mount and say, Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus was saying, was moving observance of God's law or following God away from the externalities to the heart. So what Jesus is saying is that this righteousness that we're talking about must not be hypocritical, it must be genuine. It must not be about the externals, it must be from the heart. And... It must not be imperfect. You know, in, in, in the verse 15, I believe, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Right? So that's the righteousness of the Pharisees. Let's look at a scripture very quickly. Matthew 23, just a couple of verses. I'll read a couple of um, verses at the beginning and then I'll jump to um, later verses. So if you look from verse 1, we read from verse 1 very quickly. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds, Now Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in this, to the cry about the Pharisees. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit, the teachers of the law 
and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. Again, Jesus giving credence to the law, but then he's attacking the teachers of the law. Go on. He says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. He says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Do you see what I mean? The hypocritical bit, the external bit. It says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels and, and the tassels on their garment long. I don't have time to tell you about what phylacteries are. Basically, they had a signboard on them with the law written on it. And the bigger your signboard, the more righteous. The, the more cloud you have as a Pharisee. So basically, they make it bigger. So that, ah, these guys have, they have finished the law. When you see them, you're in reverence. Now it says they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. You know, like when the big Pharisee is coming, you have to clear off the way. That kind of a thing. All right, let's jump very quickly because of my time to verse 26 and 27. 26 and 27, same place. Right. This is Jesus talking. It says, blind Pharisees. You can see exclamation there. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then outside will be clean also. Look, go to the previous verse. That's it. Yeah. Go back. Is it, is it, not, is it not on my slide? Go back to 24, 25, let's see. That's the one I want. Yeah, so what to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 26 now, let's see. It says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and all that. Okay, 27, let me see what you've got. This is it. So, what do you teach us of the law and Pharisees? You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside is full of dead and everything unclean. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So, Jesus had to go at the Pharisee. So, that's the hypocrisy of the Pharisee. So, really, the point Jesus is making here is there are two basic religions, right? One of human achievement or one of divine accomplishment. So, it's either you want to get the kingdom by yourself, by what you do, which you will not be able to make it, or you want to rely on God's grace and what he has made available in Christ Jesus. And so, that makes us zero in on the whole message we are talking about, the righteousness of God's kingdom, which is God's free gift. So let's look at Philippians chapter 3 as I round off. Philippians chapter 3. So this is a Pharisee who has become a Christian telling us what happened to him. This is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, right? And now he's beginning to tell us this subject, the righteousness of the kingdom that we're looking at. So Paul says, though I myself have reasons 
for such confidence in the flesh. All right? It starts from verse 3. It says, we are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit. Our rejoicing is in what Jesus has done. And we have no confidence in human efforts. Add verse 3 to it. Let's let the people say it. It says, you can add it to it, but let me continue. It says, though I myself have, have you got it? That's it. Please put your hands together for this guy. I'm stressing them this morning. <laughs> so it says, for it is we who are the circumcision, that is, we Christians, we who are believing Christ. For it is we who are the circumcision who Sorry, for it is we who are the circumcision, that is the true circumcision. We will serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, that is in human effort, in what we can do for ourselves. Verse 4, though I myself, that is Paul, have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a proper Jew, right? Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, there are Hebrews and there are Hebrews. I am a Hebrew. I am, I am a core Hebrew. I am from the important clan in the Hebrew, you know, tribe, right? Or nation. He says, in regards to the law, I am a son or I'm a Pharisee. What's the highest um, legal qualification in the UK? Does anybody know? You don't know. I just said son because that's the one I know in Nigeria, right? Senior advocate of Nigeria. If you are son, you are, you are like, you are a law. As in, you are law embodied, right? Now, this is what Paul is saying. Paul says, when it comes to the righteousness when it comes to the law, I am a Pharisee. That is, I am the guy there. The big guy. Verse 6. As for zeal, I persecuted the church because I was so into the law that I persecuted Christians because they were preaching grace, so to speak. As, stay there. It says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So, as far as humanly possible, I obey the law. That's what Paul is saying. So, when you compare me with my mates, I am a good Pharisee. I'm, I'm great. But look at what Paul says. Don't forget, Jesus said, our righteousness must surpass this one that Paul has written read out. Say, but whatever were against me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. Your righteousness must surpass. Right? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. But that which is from, of, but that which is through faith 
in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Have I preached to you this morning? Do you get the point? And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, God is giving a righteousness. It is one that he gives by faith. We must cease from our own efforts. We cannot afford to go through this teaching on Son of Man and want to try to do it in our strength. First and foremost, we must understand that God gives a kind of righteousness. And which is what we've been singing about this morning, that Jesus came and died for us. And because he died, we can now become all that God wants man to be. Let me finish with this scripture. Help me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Chikwe, please, just press something on the keyboard. That's my last scripture, and we'll finish. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So Jesus is saying God is done looking at the outside. He's not looking at the hearts. God is righteous, is holy, is pure. His word is lost stands. However, the way to fulfilling all of God's righteous requirement cannot be by our own effort. We must come to him who has fully obeyed the law, Jesus. And by faith in him, he gives to us God's free gift of righteousness. And we begin to live inside out. Not outside in like the Pharisees. Okay, this is my last scripture. God made him who had no sin to be seen for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that scripture? God made Jesus, who was faultless, like we read today, to become our sin offering, so that when we believe in him, we can assume his position of righteousness. How does God see you? Righteous. Why? Because you have the righteousness of Christ. And now, all that we're going to be learning from this Sermon of the Mount is God saying to us, I've made you righteous, this is what the righteous life looks like. Live like that. Does that make sense? Let's bow down our heads as we pray. And I just wanted to say, Lord, I cease from my struggle. I cease from trying to please you in my strength. I cease from trying to put off a performance for anyone or even for you. This morning, I cling once again to the finished work of Jesus. I thank you for what you have done on my behalf. You have done for me what I couldn't do for myself. I once again receive by faith your gift of righteousness. And I lay down my life to live for you, not out of my strength, but out of the strength that you provide. Thank you, Father God. Lord, we thank you this morning for speaking to us. I know that I have limitation to convey this powerful spiritual truth. I just desire, oh God, that you will expand these words in our hearts. And that we together as your people will embrace the gift that you have given to us. And we'll live our lives for your glory. Not trusting in ourselves or in our strength or whatever we can do for ourselves. But just cast ourselves on your loving kindness that has been displayed in Jesus our Savior. 
and that our light will shine and men around us will see and they will give glory to you, our Father who is in heaven. We give you thanks, Father, and we praise you. We bless the rest of our time together this morning as we share, as we eat together, as we share fellowship. Let Jesus be honored and, and be glorified in our midst. We give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening. God bless you.